No, no, no. It's okay. It, it's really okay. I have way too much to say and too little time, so I'm just going to start right away. I want to thank this church because some of you remember 27 years ago, it was this local body that sent Becky and I out into ministry. We've been 11 years in pastoral ministry, 16 years as uh, missionaries. And I want you in your mind's eye to try and imagine a Bible school in South America and hundreds of students, brilliant people, masters and doctoral students all throughout the world, hundreds that have been ministered to through just this simple couple that's before you today. And it was made possible because of this church. And so we want to thank you. And I love your pastor. Uh, I don't have enough time with him. As I said, I probably have an hour's worth of material. If I go fast, it's, it's because of that. If you want to talk afterwards, I'd love to talk. Um, I want to set everyone at ease right away. How many of you are really happy to be in Southern California? Raise your hand. Okay. You don't want to go anywhere else. Keep your hand up. Amen? Okay. When missionaries come, sometimes we, it's like we have the flu. Don't get too close to them because, you know, you might catch it and go somewhere else. If you're happy to be here, uh, the odds are that God does not want you to be anywhere else. And everyone should say, Amen. No, no, no. Amen. Okay. What I find is that people who have a calling to missions come to us privately and they say, Phil, Becky, how long? How long till we can go? Okay? So I say that this morning to try and open everyone's hearts and minds to listen attentively. If you're happy to be here, then God wants you to be here, not there. If you want to be somewhere else, talk to us. You know, we'll find joy wherever God has us to be. I want to talk this morning about making disciples. And um, our culture has changed radically. That's not news to you. And what used to work in the past no longer works today. But we're called to make disciples. So, Pastor already mentioned ISIS. Our world needs Christ followers. I'll say Christ followers because many people don't know what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who met Jesus, decided to follow him, and learned from him, and began to imitate him. So much so that after he died and was resurrected and, and gone to heaven, they looked at them and they said, they're little Christs. They're little copies of this other guy. And they called them Christians. Our world needs Christ followers. And God commands us to make disciples. Often we feel guilty because we read this, right? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we think the command is the next two words. Therefore, go. So we don't want to read this. I mean, just to be honest, right? Because we're happy to be... Okay. There's a problem with that English translation. You see the words that are underlined? That's the command. That word go is actually a participial. It's a participial phrase. So I'll translate it this way. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you're going about Covina, as you're living in Glendora, as you're shopping in uh, Azusa, San Dimas, here's the command. As you're going about life, doing life, make disciples. Wherever I put you, make disciples. Then there are two more uh, participial phrases that just explain how you do that. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let, let me just paraphrase it this way. Bring them to a point where they say, Jesus is the thing I have to have in life. He's the one that I want to serve and know and love, and I want to be with Him forever. And I want to be a disciple. And because I want to be a disciple, I'm going to, I'm going to make a public statement. I'll be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. But see, that's only the beginning. The second participial phrase then follows. Teaching them to obey. Ooh, that's hard, right? Obedience. It's even harder than that. To obey what? No, no, come on. To obey what? Oh. (laughs) But that's a disciple. If he's Lord and we are servants, then he gets to say, Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The promise. Surely I'll be with you always. The command is make disciples. So I want to talk about this morning. We're unsure how to make disciples in a changing culture. The things that we did in the past don't work anymore. And we want to be effective. How do we do that today? God has called Becky and I to train leaders for today's culture. Now so much of the training that we get is for a culture that's gone. It's for the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. If I talk to you about that culture and you have gray hair, you remember it. And you probably remember how big the shift has been in our culture. If you are young, if you're 30 and under, but especially 25 and under, you don't remember that world. You weren't born. And if I describe it to you, it will be like I'm describing Mars or Jupiter. It won't make any sense to you at all. Because we've been through one of the most radical changes in culture in the last three, four hundred years. We need to train leaders for the culture that exists right now. Because we're called to make disciples not in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. We're, made, we're called to make disciples in this generation Well, I need to catch up with myself here. You know this already. Our culture has changed radically. Um, It's described this way, from the modern to the postmodern. But that's confusing. Because modern means right now. It means current. It means contemporary. It means today, modern. So what is after modern? It's confusing. Let me use another term. The Enlightenment, which starts roughly in the 1700s, but it's based on some thought from people like René Descartes, who said in the 1600s, Je pense, donc je suis. Which means, any guesses? I think, therefore I am. Je pense, I think, donc, just, thus, je, je suis, I am. We began to think about people as individuals. And then we come into the age of reason. What I want to say to you today is this is where our culture is at. I I don't want to criticize the culture and say it's wrong and it's evil because this culture today has trouble with truth. Nor do I want to say this is the way culture should be and promote it and say this is absolutely the best thing that's ever happened. I neither neither want to criticize nor promote. What I want to do today is describe it so you understand where we are. Well, our culture's changed radically. 
the way that people looked at life, what was accepted for the last three or four hundred years has been rejected. And if you're older, that hurts. I hear a lot of pain in the evangelical world right now. I hear it in a phrase, take our culture back. Now when we say that, what are we saying about people outside of the church? They've taken our culture. There's hurt there. But what are we saying about them? They're thieves or they're our enemies. Take our culture back. Could Jesus say that? Let's translate it a little bit. Take Israel back from the Romans. Were there people when he was alive that said, you're the king, now's the time to throw the Romans out? We need to avoid confrontation. Folks, again, this is the culture that we're in. And for many of the people outside of the church, it's the only world they know. We need to understand how to reach people today. Well, Global Partners, the missionary aim of the Wesleyan Church, asked me to go research postmodern thought. And they sent us to the Catholic University of Leuven. Now, this is a little confusing. Leuven is the Dutch way of saying uh, where the school is. Leuven would be the French way of saying it. But basically, it's in Belgium. It was founded in 1425. It's one of the premier schools. Um, It's on par with Oxford, Cambridge, uh, University of Paris, uh, Tübingen in Germany, and so on. But it's not, it's relatively unknown here. Erasmus taught there for a year, many years ago. There's so much that I want to say that I learned there, and I only have, well, um, about 15 minutes left. So let me start here. This is a picture of, um, thank you, Nuremberg. 1945. This is the aftermath of our bombing. Now, the reason that picture was taken and the reason that we bombed Nuremberg basically back to the Stone Age is that that's where Hitler had his big, his big um, rallies. This is 1945. You see GIs and nurses on the road. Modernity is questioned. The whole process, the whole idea of progress that we'd had for 300 years ends right here. For several centuries during the Enlightenment, people believed that reason and science would give us a better world. As we came to understand the natural world better and better and we could harness the powers of nature, we would create a better world. Dow Chemical said, some of you will remember this, better living through chemistry. All these new chemicals, all these new plastics and all. They they were wonderful things, wondrous. We couldn't believe them as they were coming out on the market. What, What did we do with those chemicals? We polluted our world. Scientific knowledge led to better ways of killing people. People no longer, therefore, believe that truth will lead to liberation and instead, people who say that they have the truth are viewed as dangerous. Okay, now, understand, hear me carefully. This is how people out in the world today think. If you say you have the truth, you are on the edge of being dangerous. 
And this is important for the church. Why? We have truth. How did this come about? Well, Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Franco, and Pol Pot all said they had the truth, and millions died. Millions died. I don't want to be disrespectful, nor do I want to be insensitive, but I know that I might, I might hurt someone right here. I really, that's not my intent. I want to try and get us to feel what the Europeans went through. On 9-11, we lost almost 3,000 people and just two buildings. Remember the horror of that day? Remember how you felt? It was only 3,000 people and two buildings. This is a whole continent and millions of people dead. Our GIs came back. We lost men and women overseas. But they came back to a country that was largely untouched. The after effects of this this earthquake were enormous. We live now in a postmodern culture. How did it come about? The most cultured country in Europe, Germany, led to Auschwitz. After the horror of the war being over, our soldiers came in and found Auschwitz, Dachau, Buchenwald. Well, as people started thinking about this, they started thinking about the stories behind what happened. Hitler had a story. The story was that all of history is about the master race, people of pure Aryan blood, and it's leading toward a utopia. A utopia is the, the Third Reich, uh, a paradise for people of German blood that will last a thousand years. Stalin had his story. His story was it was the poor workers, the laborers, they would revolt against the landowners, the bankers, and so on, and they would lead and make a worker's paradise. But what happened in the Nazi story if you were a Ukrainian, a gypsy, a Jew, a Roma, a homosexual, someone that did not fit within that circle? You're not a true Aryan. Well, you're in the way because we're building this paradise. And so they gassed them, they shot them, they worked them to death, building the workers' paradise. Stalin did the same thing. If you weren't part of the proletariat, you were bourgeois, then they sent you to the Gulag Archipelago where you were worked to death building the workers' paradise. Think about ISIS today. They have a story too. If you're on the inside and you're a Muslim and you're working to build the paradise, the caliphate, you're inside our story. If you're outside of our story, you're in the way. If you're a Kurd, we will kill you. We will make you cut your children's head off and put them up on stakes. These stories are horrible, demonic, destructive stories that kill millions of people. And as people were thinking about this in Europe, they started writing books. And as they were writing books... They then came to the United States because they got famous. They went to the University of Chicago. They went to Berkeley. They came here to UC Irvine, the philosopher that I worked on, Jean-Francois Lyotard, and they taught. As they began to ta teach, they were teaching people who wrote screenplays, 
people who wrote dramas, people who wrote movies. And as they began to tell new stories, they started to spread ideas that changed our culture. In the 1980s, we're at the hinge point of history. Before that is the Enlightenment period. Billy Graham could stand up with the Bible and say, the Bible says, and people who weren't even part of the church would say, wow, the Bible is truth. And if that's what the Bible says, and they would come down and give their lives to Christ. Today with young people, if you say the Bible says, they'll say, who cares? There's the Quran. There's the Bhagavad Gita. There's lots of religious books. There is the hinge of history that happens right in the 1980s. I'll give one example. We go from the hero to the anti-hero. Comic books. Who was the who was the number one comic book hero in America? Hands down. Superman. Truth. Justice. And what? The American way. Okay, ask people who are 25 and down who is the most boring superhero. It's Superman. It's changed. We prefer the Dark Knight, the twisted Batman, but he's not really the cool one. The cool one are the Avengers. Okay, if you're older and that doesn't make any sense to you, Dirty Harry. <laughs> Go ahead. This comes across as cynicism in popular culture. Dystopian novels and movies are common today. Think of Hunger Games. Young people don't know what to believe in anymore, and parents struggle to pass on their values to their children, and the church is sidelined. Because anyone who says they have the truth is dangerous. Well, people today hear truth differently. People tend to distrust anyone who says they have the truth. Preachers, politicians, teachers who claim to understand human life, meaning and destiny, are not heard as they once were. Instead, truth is tied to individual experience. You'll hear this. Now, I'm not criticizing people, but if you really listen, you'll begin to understand where, they, where they're coming from. That may be true for you, but it's... What, does, what are they saying? Well, it's not universally true. What they're really saying is this. Truth is tied to individual experience. I have not experienced that in my life, therefore, I don't know that it's true. You may have experienced it in your life, and it may be true for you, but until I experience it, I don't know that it's true. Because, folks, there is no universal truth anymore because Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Pol Pot, people who say they have the truth are dangerous. Okay, again, I'm not saying this is how it should be. I'm saying this is how it is. Most people don't know why the culture is the way that it is. They're like fish in the ocean and the culture is the water. It's just around them. It's just 25 and down. This is the way the world has always been. And those of us who have gray hair and are older are tempted to be critical and criticize the young, the young who know no other world than the one we live in. And folks, if you're older like me, we need to stop that. 
We need to understand the world that the people are, the generation that we're trying to reach. People don't have a strong foundation. This, these are people from communist China, students in Lufen that we ministered to, among others. When young people come into contact with stories from people from all over the world, what happens is it erodes their story. And now there's no firm foundation under them. I could go on and on, but i got to rush on. People are looking for meaning. Came back, you know, and this, I almost drove off the road when I saw that. What's that car called? You know, they have marketing groups where they, you know, work to find out what are the names that would help us sell this car. A car called a soul? That ought to tell you something. People are looking for meaning. Okay, I've got to move on. The culture affects how we share the gospel. Any missionary will tell you that. My favorite picture I took in Europe. Older methods are ineffective. If you were taught how to do evangelism in the 70s, everything they told you is probably wrong now. Because it was based during an enlightenment period of time where everything was based on reason. And they gave you a whole list of scriptures to memorize and even a conversation to follow to bring someone to a decision point. Try the four spiritual laws today. Most of the time, it doesn't work. A young person will say to you, that's a logical argument, but like Adam Savage and the Mythbusters, I reject your reality and... See, only the young guys know this. And substitute my own. He's telling us what the culture thinks. Okay. Well... How do we share the gospel then? We need to witness to the truth. See, we used to be able to say the Bible says and we could speak with authority because people recognize that authority. Today, if you want to share the gospel, what you need to do is you need to understand that truth is experience-based in our culture today. And so what you say is, you don't have to believe a thing I'm saying. Because they don't. But take all the pressure off. Don't, you don't have to believe a thing I'm saying. But I found this to be true in my life. I'm a Christian. Well, do you, you think the Bible? Really the Bible? I mean, they'll bring it into the conversation. As soon as you say, you don't have to believe me, they'll bring in all of the problems. Well, what about, well, yeah, I'm a witness. I believe that the Bible is a revelation of God. tells us things we couldn't know otherwise. You know, God has opinion. You have, I'm sorry, you have, I'm trying to do this so fast. You have your opinion. Let's take homosexuality. You have your opinion. I have my opinion. Really, please don't judge me. I'm not judging you. You need to understand that the Bible says that, that all have sinned, and that, that includes me. So same-sex attraction, that's never been a problem for me. I'm married. I have four kids. It's... I like girls. Thank you. I like girl. <laughs> Thank you. But there are other things that God says, and sometimes I struggle with those things. You know, the, I believe the Bible reveals what God thinks about things. And... um he has an opinion too. And you know, I hope you won't judge me and I won't judge you. 
Because on the last day, the Bible says there will be a judgment. And on that day, it won't matter what your opinion is or what my opinion is. The only opinion that will matter is the one who judges. And that's God. He has an opinion on things. I believe this book tells us. It reveals what God's opinion is. And then I'll say, by the way, the Bible calls God's opinion truth. And we witness both to the law and also to grace. I wish I had an hour because that's as far as I can go. But if we go humbly before people, they will hear us. We need to witness to the truth. My son says you have to earn the right to speak. This is Pope Francis. Pope Francis washes prisoners' feet. We're called to disciple postmodern people, the people alive today. We need to understand the current culture, study our culture like a missionary, learn the culture's language and thought patterns. Here's a young man that you helped um, train. He's a pastor in Suriname, South America, Lloyd and his wife, Marianne, and they are just a wonderful, wonderful couple. We need to share the gospel in terms people understand. While we were in Belgium, we ministered to postmodern young adults who came from over 40 different countries in a church of 200, where every year we lost a third of the students. So we just kept running students through. When I say we ministered to hundreds, I'm not, ex- I'm not exaggerating. We did. Becky started a choir. She had over 125 people over the six years in that choir. Um, I want to tell you about Peter Goidacci. Peter came in. He walked through the church. He's this tall, good-looking Hungarian guy with this just long hair. As he walked up the aisle, you could see all the girls' heads in the church turn, you know, like a wave. Peter never saw that. He played the drums. He played the guitar. Excellent. Had a humble heart. I said, Peter, I can't call you into the ministry, but you've got everything it takes to be a great pastor. He said, could we come talk? He came to our house one night a week for two, two years, had dinner. We talked about life and ministry. Today he's the pastor of a, a Calvary Chapel church plant in Budapest, Hungary. And you helped to change that man's life. Well, we're going to the Philippines now to teach Asian students about postmodern culture. I'm going to pass by that story. This is one of the students we will be teaching Um, And because we go to that seminary, five Wesleyan students will get scholarships. We need each other. We need disciples here in Covina, there, all throughout California, everywhere, around the world, in our city, state, country, and world. Here's a baptism in, in Belgium. Jesus made disciples. He worked in a very specific culture, Greco Roman Jewish culture. Jesus taught peoples in terms they understood. He talked about farmers and fishermen and so on. But Jesus needed partners as well. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Twelve were with him, also some women who had been cured of evil uh, spirits and disease. Here is Jesus' list of partners. Who paid for the sandals? Who paid for the meals? Who took care of the, the ministry needs? Well, here they are. And I think they're the big givers. That's why they're listed. Mary, called Magdalene, whom seven demons came out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. Catch this. It's right here. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, how would you like to be either Mary or Joanna or Susanna on the judgment day? You're standing before Jesus, and he knows that you helped to pay for the meals and the sandals and all that. Well, folks, we still can. So Becky and I partner with 
a missionary in China and some missionaries in India. And when you support the missionary work of this church, you're also helping to support Jesus' ministry today. Well, I think I'm going going to end here because I want Becky to sing, and I went 28 minutes past her. um, (laughs) We're done. I just want to say thank you. As I said, there's three hours of stuff to talk about. The time's gone. Thank you for being a part of what we do. God bless you. Well, as we get near the end of the service, I'm going to ask you, what are you hungry for? Jesus, sorry, there we go. Jesus told us the people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness will be filled. So that's what this song is about.